Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and it's my distinct privilege to welcome you to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Each week I interview someone around topics related to spiritual formation, and my guest this week is Chris Smith. Chris is the author of two books, Slow Church and Reading for the Common Good. And in this interview, we work with the topic of having a slow, intentional, and thoughtful life. He really expands on these words, puts them into flesh of sorts, and how they look in community life. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Chris, how are you? Good. Good to be with you. Hey, you too, man. I'm glad I get to chat with you. We, we met once. Do you remember? Yes, at the Festival of Faith and Writing. That is the best festival. Oh, it absolutely is. It's the one uh, conference that I absolutely uh, make sure that I do not miss. <laughs> yeah, it's every two years, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Every two years in April at Calvin College. I think it's one of the few for me, too, that just goes on the calendar as a hope <laughs> to get to be at. Um, that's good. Well, okay, let's just maybe start talking about slow. Sure. Um, I mean, you're you're kind of the slow guy, it, and I mean that in a good. <laughs> that, that's not a, a put down. Meant to be a put more down. of an aspiration than anything else. I think. But. How did you get interested in this this idea of slowing, doing things slow? Yeah, well, I've been uh, fascinated for a long time uh, in the slow food movement, um, and uh, and particularly. Uh, one of the aspects of, of slow food and the other slow movements that have kind of come in its wake, I've been very fascinated by the social dynamics of them, okay. um, of how uh, even though slow food is obviously about food, uh, kind of at the deeper level, it's about uh, the connections we share with the people around us, the sort of community that happens as we have a have a meal that's worth savoring and mm-hmm. worth uh, lingering over and having conversations over. So those kind of social dynamics, but also the social dynamics of the local economy of, of knowing the farmer that grows eggs that we eat for breakfast or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or even the, the merchant from whom we buy uh, mm-hmm. the, the food. Um, so the, the sort of community that happens when we, when we buy locally and know uh, the people that are, uh, Bringing bringing food to our table, for instance. So so those kind of social dynamics have been particularly fascinating uh, for me. Actually, Chris, that's really helpful to because th- my exposure to uh, slow eating movement, I didn't necessarily think of the social dynamics. Could you um, maybe share with people that don't know what exactly that that is? Yeah, so slow food is movement is a movement that started in Italy about thirty years ago, uh, and. Uh, it actually started with a bunch of activists uh, that got together because they were protesting uh, the ro- the plans for a McDonald's that was uh, supposed to be installed near the historic Spanish Steps in Rome, um, and kind of uh, they wanted to kind of resist uh, fast food and resist uh, the ways in which fast food has come to shape uh, Western culture, mm-hmm. uh, but they were also they didn't want to just uh, kind of be contrarians. They wanted to offer an alternative um, and really kind of uh, uh, look toward uh, local foods um, uh, done well. Uh, so kind of the three cardinal virtues of the slow food movement is, are, is a preference for food that is good, 
food that is clean and food that is fair mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, good, obviously flavorful, tasty, uh, well-prepared, uh, clean. Uh, it's an ecological sort of virtue produced organically uh, with attention to all the dynamics that happen around the growing of a plant or the raising of an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, fair is kind of an economic sort of virtue that everybody that uh, does work to to grow the food, to raise the food, to transport the food um, are paid at least a fair wage uh, for for the work they do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's kind of the, the slow food movement in a nutshell. And then kind of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, kind of in the wake of the slow food movement over the last 25 or 30 years, uh, there kind of come another – a number of other slow movements, uh, slow cities, slow parenting, uh, even slow reading. Um, and uh, it's been kind of fascinating. And all of them, uh, to go back to my initial fascination with them, all of them have some degree of, uh, of the social dynamics mm-hmm. um, of, of how, do, how does this thing help us to slow down, uh, not just simply for the sake of slowing down and dragging our feet, uh, but for the, s- the sake of learning to be attentive mm-hmm. uh, to to the people uh, who surround us and to uh, the social and economic uh, sorts of dynamics of relationships that we have with those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's very helpful. Um, and just to go back to slow food, eating slow fall into that? Oh, yeah, sure. There's actually a movement kind of within uh, – it's kind of come out of the uh, Buddhist uh, movement uh, of, of mindful eating – Okay. Uh, and again, I'm, that's kind of a almost a, like a sub uh, sub uh, track of, of of slow food. Uh, not everybody that uh, uh, that is interested in slow food is interested in actually eating slow <laughs> slowly and mindfully. But it, but it's fascinating to think about to actually savor the taste of something and eat in small portions and mm-hmm. and really focus on what it is and, and the sorts of uh, flavors and, um, and really appreciating uh, the, the work and the gifts uh, that have brought uh, a particular dish uh, to, to mm-hmm. our table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's, um, that's particularly fascinating. My wife w- was into this for a little while and we'd have these big decadent meals that would last like two hours mm-hmm. and she'd give me this, you know, fancy cheese and, <laughs> like savor it, you know, and it was, it was wonderful. I absolutely loved. So when you use the term slow, you're referencing these three pieces. Yeah, certainly. So the, uh, my friend John Pattison and I wrote a book called Slow Church, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of at the heart of that book uh, is kind of our reinterpretation of those three virtues uh, for for churches. Uh, so we talk about. Uh, good in terms of ethics, um, in terms of focusing on the quality of our faithfulness, the quality uh, of our life together as church communities, rather than on all the sorts of quantities that it's easy but easy to become enamored with. Qualities are good as sorts of metrics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, be mindful of them, uh, but but our focus really needs to be on the qualitative, not the quantitative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of what what we talk about in terms of ethics. Uh, um, we talk about um, in terms of the slow food virtue of clean, we reinterpret as ecology of being mindful, not only of uh, the ends that we believe that we're called to, but being uh, attentive to the means by which we pursue those ends um, that 
that so often when we pursue ends without paying attention to how we're pursuing them, uh, there's the so-called collateral damage, the things that happen mm. because we're not paying attention to how uh, we're doing things. And, and, and usually there are unintended, unintended consequences um, that we don't intend to uh, cause um, these sorts of damage, mm-hmm. um, uh, but we're just not paying attention. And then we see this, I mean, kind of in my urban neighborhood, uh, there's all kinds of uh, well-meaning people that uh, want to, to serve our neighbors, uh, but uh, in a lot of ways, um, there's a lot of different ways that uh, even though they're really trying to pursue some good and noble ends, uh, oftentimes they're not very mindful about how they do it, and uh, people get reduced to, to projects or mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to clients or mm-hmm. – um, there's not that sort of a relationship where there's a mutuality um, and uh, care and uh, mm-hmm. so forth. Things go back and forth. Um, so that's just kind of one example of that. Uh, and then uh, kind of the third part of the book uh, is a, is the part on economy, uh, which is uh, based on uh, the slow food virtue of uh, of fair uh, and uh, trying to particularly in that part uh, we. Uh, call into question uh, the economic uh, uh, axiom, if you will, of, of scarcity, uh, mm-hmm. that there's not enough resources to go around. We believe that the nature of, if looking carefully at scripture, the nature of God's creation is one of abundance. Mm-hmm. That if God's, if humanity particularly, but if all God's creation lives in the way that God intends, intended it, there's more than abundant uh, resources for the life and flourishing of, of God's creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and I think if we take that serious, if we take those kind of theological convictions seriously, it leads us into different sorts of, of economies uh, that are, are based in abundance uh, mm-hmm. and not scarcity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's kind of a nutshell of uh, what we talk about when we talk about slow church and kind of how that's rooted in some of the, the fundamental convictions of slow food and other slow movements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really and then fundamentally, let me, one more thing about that yeah. uh, while we're talking about slow church, uh, we very intentionally chose the language of slow church, uh, not slow Christianity or slow faith or slow religion. Uh, but, but because as kind of pointing back to um, the social dynamics that I talked about earlier, that uh, we believe that, the way in which God has chosen to work in the world is through through the gathering of a people, a people that bear witness to to who God is and to um, the the work of of reconciliation that God is doing in the world. Um, so so we really wanted to highlight those uh, social community dynamics mm-hmm. um, and the ways that we're called into that, particularly in a in a world that's uh, enamored with individualism. Mm-hmm, uh, we wanted mm-hmm. uh, to to a different way of being uh, of learning to be to be a community, uh, particularly in our local churches, but also re- recognizing the ways that our local churches are situated within uh, communities, places, uh, and um, and all the the sorts of social dynamics uh, that surround. Uh, uh, our churches, the sort of social webs in which we're enmeshed. Mm-hmm. So, so this isn't then when you say slow church, this is you're not talking about pace as much as you're talking about intentionality with oh, thoughtfulness about absolutely. What we're doing. I mean, it's like 
I often use the dynamic or the analogy of uh, learning to play tennis or learning to ride a bicycle mm-hmm. uh, that, I mean, you have to go slow at first. Um, but as you mature, as you practice, as you become better, then then you do uh, uh, start to do things more uh, naturally, uh, more expediently. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you really need that maturity. Uh, and we sometimes we want to jump into to doing something without kind of learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I think we need uh, that certainly slowness. Uh, and particularly, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, friends who are activists and friends who are very pa- passionate about social justice issues. Uh, and they're, they're, they often kind of question question the idea of, of moving slowly. Um, <laughs> and and I, I kind of push back on that. Um, I think that, I mean, there are situations of urgency that we just kind of need to dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's uh, to talk about slow church is not to talk about always dragging our feet and moving as slowly as possible. Uh, but it's, but it's le- about learning to be attentive um, and learning to try or trying to learn all the dynamics that are going on in any situation um, mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to act according, act faithfully within all of those dynamics and not just kind of entering into a situation uh, thinking that we know how to <laughs> how to uh, act faithfully, mm-hmm. uh, that we come in knowing how to act faithfully, um, but coming in with a humility, coming in with a willingness to to learn and to to really uh, be attentive uh, to uh, as many of the dynamics as possible that are mm-hmm. in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, as we're talking, Chris, I'm thinking, um, I wonder how many church conflicts or splits or woundings of people could be eliminated or reduced if, if these three pieces were, you know, oh. quality and ethics and you know, paying attention to the, the means to the end and um, how, how are we pursuing our ends? And then, and then this idea of fairness and um, abundance, yeah. I, I think it yeah, eliminates no, some problems. <laughs> absolutely. In fact, uh, John and I have talked about, we're not actively pursuing this right now, but uh, we've talked about kind of doing a follow-up book on uh, church unity uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, but both of us are deeply, deeply concerned uh, by the ways in which a lot of our denomina- a lot of denominations are kind of splitting and not finding a way uh, to to work through and to discern mm-hmm. um, uh, particularly issues around sexuality is uh, divisive uh, for a lot of denomin- major denominations right now but but other things too uh, but how what is the I think there's a lot of wisdom in what we talk about slow, as slow church um, that can help us to to learn to to work through uh, difficult uh, situations, uh, not only as local congregations, but also as mm-hmm. um, kind of larger expressions of presbyteries or denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, no, that's that's helpful. Um, pe- people at your church, do you guys get along? <laughs> not all the time, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the things that uh, has been Particularly strike. So I've been here at Englewood, uh, our local uh, church congregation on the Near East Side of Indianapolis, uh, for about 13 and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I really appreciate about folks here is, I mean, sure we have our fights, we get uh, pretty upset with people uh, from time to time, but but we're deeply committed to being together, um, mm-hmm. and that we really, generally speaking, um, see that commit that commitment to one another as deeper than uh, the conflicts that we have and really committed to 
to trying to to talk and work through uh, the conflicts when they when they inevitably do arise, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and trying to try to listen to one another. Uh, so conversation has been a really important uh, practice for us as a local church, and this is kind of a, a, a thread that runs through both slow church and reading for the common good. Uh, but so on Sunday nights, probably about. 20 or 25 years ago, um, like a lot of evangelical-type churches, uh, we had a Sunday evening service uh, that was kind of a light version of the Sunday morning service, and it was pretty much dying off at that point 20 or 25 years ago. And uh, we just decided we were, we didn't want to give up being together on Sunday nights, but we knew we could just continue to do the same old thing that we'd always done. Uh, so we just circled up some chairs in a room and started to have a conversation together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a really, really a mess. It was a huge mess. Um, volatile, <laughs> people yelling at each other, uh, people being deeply sarcastic with each other. Um, we very quickly realized that we didn't know how to talk together very well, but but out of mm-hmm. sheer stubbornness or whatever else, we continued week after week after week getting together on Sunday nights. And and then over time, uh, those conversations started to kind of overflow Sunday night, and we had other um, opportunities to talk with one another, to talk with our neighbors. And or we, f- we found over time as continuing to, uh, to practice this discipline of talking together that – uh, lo and behold, we were actually becoming a little bit more civil, a little bit more caring, a little bit more listening uh, with one another. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, through all of my work, uh, I mean, that's one of my deepest hopes is that uh, that our church congregations can be places where we are starting to uh, cultivate uh, the virtues uh, that come in in conversation. And con- mm. conversation for me is certainly. Uh, the words that we share back and forth, but it's fundamentally about learning to be present to one another, mm-hmm. uh, all the sorts of communication that happens uh, at the nonverbal level, uh, uh, the emotions mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, that drive us, the fears, um, mm-hmm. but also the joys um, and, and really learning to how do we be attentive to those um, and to the ways that presence shapes our life together as churches, as neighborhoods. And that's really, that's really good. I mean, in one sense, I mean, if I can kind of go back and look at all this, you're really talking about attending to the spirit, the rhythms of the spirit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Waiting for the spirit. I heard a good quote that I found so helpful is if if we can't be present to our brothers and sisters, how can we be present to God? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working actually uh, right now. I'm, I'm, getting pretty deep into my next uh, book project, which is actually on the topic of conversation. Uh, And one of the things that, that is relevant to uh, the previous book projects, but just the nature of who God is. I mean, in the Christian tradition, we've emphasized that, that God is Trinity. (laughs) God is three beings in one uh, Mm -hmm. committed, eternally committed uh, to one another, eternally in conversation Mm -hmm. with God's own self. (laughs) Um, and uh, I mean, I think that's uh, built into uh, the Imago Dei, <laughs> mm-hmm. built into humanity in the image of God. We're created to be social beings. We're created to to be in conversation, uh, not only with one another, but also with God. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that, that learning to be present. And, some, and oftentimes, as kind of Renovari has uh, emphasized uh, so wonderfully over the last few decades, um, just that we need we need practices uh, that help us, and we're not going to 
uh, just in our brokenness, we're not going to naturally uh, <laughs> develop habits of, of presence. Uh, but we need to we need to uh, have some intentionality about about prayer, about contemplation, about mm. stuff, mm-hmm. uh, about guidance. Um, and so uh, and I, I think anyway, our local it can be frustrating at times, but I think our local churches are the gift, are the, the venue, the space mm. uh, it, uh, the primary space, not that we shouldn't uh, uh, do those things outside the local church, but right. but the primary place where we're uh, trying to uh, to to learn those things. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's very helpful, and I and I think just to kind of echo some of that, that the the practice, the spiritual practice of listening to each other, presence, engaging in loving conversation that that this all naturally lends itself to then presence before God, listening to God. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. It's it's training ground of sorts, all our human interaction. Sure. Yeah, I know I love uh, I think I talk about this a little bit in reading for the common good, but just the the word disciple and discipleship is 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 about learning. To be a disciple is to be one who learns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Kind of in the modern age, uh, a lot of times we can we're tempted to to think that we have we have all the answers <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, we know how things should be done. Uh, but rather, there's a, a wonderful sort of humility to mm. to being a disciple and to being um, one who is always always learning and who is part of a community <laughs> uh, mm. that is 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 seeking uh, to learn. I think Christianity, uh, particularly in the kind of colonial age uh has uh uh too often kind of come in triumphantly um Mm -hmm. as if we had all the answers um and i think uh i think i i appreciate all the ways that uh within the last maybe 50 years or so uh christianity is uh starting to recognize that we have we have a lot of questions Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't we don't have very uh clear sorts of answers to um we don't have to be threatened by that. Oh no, absolutely not! Absolutely not. We uh, we have uh, trust in uh, a Creator God who um, uh, is is guiding us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I'll often think that leadership or teaching, speaking, th- this is learning. Uh-huh. And and we're we're yeah. learning. I think and... One of the things, uh, Peter Block. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he's a he's actually kind of a business guru. Uh, but over the last, he's kind of shifted uh, over the last ten or fifteen years, uh, kind of from business leadership uh, into community leadership. Hmm. Uh, but he has a book on community. But one of the things that he says in that book that I've been fascinated by is that uh, the best leadership uh, is creating spaces in which conversations can happen mm-hmm. uh, is bringing people to the table <laughs> uh, is not kind of uh, uh, kind of commandeering <laughs> a group of people through, through a conversation or through a situation, uh, but, but bringing people to, to the table so that, so that a conversation can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've really appreciated, uh, obviously a conversation is pretty important uh, to all of the work that I do, but I p- appreciated uh, kind of his articulating leadership in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that conversation, that, that leads us into your newest book, Reading for the Common Good, and then the subtitle, How Books Help Our Churches and Neighborhoods Flourish. Could you tell us a little bit about your work in this book? 
part of the the title uh, comes from my pushback on. So when we read, I mean, reading is an immensely personal activity. Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, most of the time when we read, we do that. Uh, I mean, sometimes we read aloud in our homes or even in our churches. We'll read a passage of scripture aloud as part of the worship service or whatever. Um, but but most of the times when we read, it's an immensely personal activity, and that's fine. Uh, but but I think it can be problematic when the primary ways in which we read are very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we and I think that kind of happens in two modes. Um, one is kind of the reading for entertainment, uh, reading for amusement. Uh, mm-hmm. Neil Postman, uh, the wonderful social critic, kind of pointed uh, in his book, Amusing, Amusing Ourselves to Death. <laughs> yes. He put, pointed out the roots of the word amusement uh, to amuse, uh, that we're not thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to amuse ourselves is to, to engage without thinking about what we're doing. And mm-hmm. kind of what I want to offer is an alternative where we're actually kind of thinking about what we're reading, even if we're reading something that's fun, even if we're reading a novel or whatever. So, I mean, think about what's going on. What is the significance of this novel? Or even, even the, I don't really talk about it in the book, but even like television or movies. I mean, how are we, are we engaging them, um, engaging them faithfully? Are we engaging them with discernment? What, what does this, mm-hmm. what is this um, movie, this, this album, what is it? What is the meaning of it? How does it speak into the situation in which um, I find myself in the the community that I'm a part of? Uh, mm-hmm. finds mm-hmm. um, so kind of uh, entertainment is one one kind of mode in which we are tempted to kind of uh, uh, absorb ourselves. Uh, and kind of the other is the just sort of the the temptation of, of self improvement. And again, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, but if that becomes the primary way that we read, uh, we tend to, uh, I mean, it tends to pr- kind of promote, uh, propagate uh, radical individualism of mm-hmm. the self apart from all the sorts of communities to which we belong. Um, and so, so I ask the question, how do, we, how do we read in ways that are attentive to the communities that we belong, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the church community first and foremost, mm-hmm. uh, but then also neighborhood and the community of the community of creation mm-hmm. uh, as whole, and the ways in which, as Wendell Berry so wonderfully puts it, um, our particular place is uh, connected in a web with, uh, with other places. Um, mm, that's good. How, how, Chris, how do you read attentively to your community? Sure. Church? I mean, I think the, I think the first thing, and we've kind of already alluded to this is, is simply by slowing down mm. uh, by, by realizing what we're doing, there's a lot of ways that we read together already in our churches. Um, particularly, I point to uh, to preaching uh, because most most churches uh, have some sort of kind of preaching or teaching, mm-hmm. uh, and really being attentive uh, to uh, to what's going on there, and not just kind of seeing the sermon as a as a commodity to be consumed, mm-hmm. uh, which is very easy to do. Uh, I mean, even myself, uh, oftentimes it's uh, what can I get out of this? How can this uh, uh, be a benefit? But we're, we're kind of replacing those questions with how does this sermon speak into speak into our life together? Mm. Uh, uh, how do and and then kind of following from that, how do how do I participate in that? How does that this sermon draw draw me deeper into deeper into this this shared life? Mm-hmm. So and again, uh, I really one of the things I really. One of the things that has stuck with me since the first time I read Celebration of Discipline uh, 25 years ago or so um, was this idea of kind of preparing for worship. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a similar thing is true, and, and maybe uh, whether we make the distinction between preaching and worship, I don't know. Uh, but but certainly being prepared uh, to 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 engage a sermon, um, mm-hmm. to to think mm-hmm. critically about it, to ask questions of it. I think that's one of the things that I, I really encourage uh, churches to do um, in terms within reading for the common good is creating spaces in which we can can engage with sermons and with teaching. Uh, so often uh, sermons, preaching uh, is a kind of one directional sort of thing <laughs> from <laughs> from the lips of the preacher to the ears of the, the congregation. But I think that we need spaces, again, kind of going back to this theme of conversation, we need mm-hmm. spaces where we can, we can ask difficult questions. Again, this is the, the mindset of not uh, thinking that we have all the answers, uh, but, but really, being willing to to ask questions and to work through what this means and really mm-hmm. try to have some ownership of it uh, to um, to feel like uh, we're not just kind of uh, grabbing onto something that's being put out to us, uh, but that we're um, engaging with it, kind of that mutuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With it. And I think there are a lot of church contexts that are not spaces uh, mm-hmm. for people to, uh, I mean, sometimes, uh, a lot of good people uh, uh, will, I mean, talk about sermons uh, mm-hmm. over a meal with their family or maybe a few people that they go out to dinner with, uh, maybe after a, a Sunday morning service or something. But, um, but, but churches as a whole don't, don't often have, have spaces in mm-hmm. which people can, can engage with uh, the, the preaching and the teaching. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love it when I've, I've done some work with churches that are small enough and courageous enough to, to finish a sermon and then open up a discussion um, and what comes out of that. So beautiful. Um, but, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you think of the, the you know, preaching that, that a person has taken time to listen, to be thoughtful about the needs of the community and the direction God might be taking them then it would really make sense for the people to then engage with that, work with that. Um, but it does require a different mentality than consumer of, you know, does this help me right now? And is this engaging and, 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 and such? Sure. And I've been fascinated too. Um, and I actually talk in the book uh, about uh, Lectio Divina and kind of the, the four movements of that. And, and even uh, kind of trying to inter- reinterpret preaching as a type of, of Lectio Divina of, of reading slowly and praying over the text and contemplating kind of what is the meaning of, of this text mm-hmm. um, and, and meditating upon, upon the text. Um, and, and uh, I think I've been fascinated in which in the context I've seen uh, in churches and conferences and so forth, where uh, kind of Lectio is done in a, in a group, mm-hmm. uh, in a mm-hmm. group setting Um and, and it's always fascinating to kind of hear the ways that God is speaking to pe- people differently out of yep. a similar passage that they've kind of been sitting with for a little bit. Um, and I, I really kind of uh, challenge churches to um, to explore uh, the ways in which uh, they can uh, practice lectio, practice uh, slow reading, abiding with the text, and asking difficult mm-hmm. questions of the text, and trying to to hear the the whisper of God as it mm-hmm. were. It's powerful. Every time oh. I've been in group co- settings where a, a, a verse or even a quote is read and then there's space for people to interact together oh. or in silence, it, something beautiful always comes out of it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. That's been exactly my experience as well. Um, and I mean, I think that 
to some extent, uh, this is the, uh, I mean, we're getting a taste of, of the life for which we were created, yeah. the, the sort of conversational, uh, uh, present life uh, of, of God who is uh, Trinity, who is mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Well, and it does require a risk on our part. I mean, one, much of what you're talking about involves vulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, and being intentional with others, intentional with words. Um, but, but there also is a sense of uh, we need to get over our fear of silence, our fear mm-hmm. of slow. And, sure, absolutely. Um, the fear of not having, not having anything to say. Um, yeah. Uh, that, I mean, sometimes we just, uh, we're faced with, particularly in the face of tragedy or grief, uh, sometimes <laughs> silence is the best sort of yeah. presence. Uh, but, my wife and I had a daughter who was stillborn and uh, – mm. Let's see, that would have been uh, eight or nine years ago. And uh, one of the wonderful things about the ways in which our church walked with us through that was that uh, nobody <laughs> offered us any sort of uh, pat <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, words that people are tempted to say in that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but the community was present with us and walked with us uh, through that and cared for us uh, in that. And that was a, a wonderful uh, wonderful sort of witness of the way of God to us. Mm, that's beautiful. Yes. Oftentimes the best words to say are <laughs> no words. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um, Chris, I'd be remiss if we, if I didn't hear a little bit about your work with Inglewood uh, review of books. Uh, it's sure. just such a wonderful work <laughs> you're doing there. Could you let people know what it's but yeah, about? So the Inglewood review of books. Um, so, Probably about a decade ago, I was uh, running a little bookstore that we have uh, here in our church building, and we were kind of in the first downturn of the recession um, and kind of struggling to make ends meet uh, with that uh, operation. Um, So we said, uh, what's something that we could do um, uh, that's kind of in line with what we're doing already? And one of the things that we said was, well, let's just pull some of our email addresses and – figure out some folks uh, who might like to receive uh, one uh, book review a week in their inbox. And mm-hmm. uh, people, people just love that. It was kind of at the same time that magazines and newspapers were cutting their book review coverage. And um, so people loved them. So within a few months or uh, six months, maybe or so, uh, we actually started a website to be a, a repository for these sorts of reviews. But, but the Angle to Review uh, is kind of situated within the life of our church community, uh, Anglewood Christian Church. Uh, and so, I mean, it's funded kind of through our church and any sort of income that we have uh, kind of goes back into uh, mm-hmm. the, the economy of the, the local church. Uh, but uh, but then a few years later, after we started online, we kind of uh, went in the opposite direction of most uh, things <laughs> these days and actually uh, started a print magazine, a quarterly print magazine as well. And all of this kind of comes out of the, the conviction, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, reading for us has been – and reading – uh, diversely, uh, mm-hmm. reading deeply, reading carefully, um, reading in community has been a practice uh, for us as a church that has been an immense uh, blessing, mm-hmm. uh, immensely beneficial. And we want to invite other churches into that. And kind of, we've always, uh, so probably half the books we review um, aren't necessarily Christian market books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even the Christian market books that we review um, are ones that we find to be more more thoughtful Um not just kind of uh, techniques, uh, and we almost pretty much don't review any uh, kind of Christian market uh, mm-hmm. fiction. Almost the fiction that we review is kind of uh, 
novels that people are talking about uh, in the public square. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You guys have a beautiful selection there. I mean, it's 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 helpful. Do, do, do you find in doing that that people in your congregation read the books? Some. Um, so, I mean, we're fortunate as a congregation that we do have a, a wide number of readers. I know that I hear from a lot of people that what a struggle it is in their churches uh, to get people to read. Uh, and that's not necessarily the case here at Englewood. Uh, and we have people that are reading really broadly, uh, people that my wife, for instance, loves fiction. She loves young adult fiction. Uh, so she reads tons of that. Um, and I was always, always talking about it. Um, Wait, yeah. And, and we, we have other people that are reading kind of theology, sociology, um, and, and everywhere in between. You're an inner city church and, and yeah, you guys are a, a reading church. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the other thing that's really fascinating about us is that we're, we're a reading church, but we're not a super educated church. Mm -hmm. Um we have we do have a medical doctor and dentist who actually happen to be married to one another, um, but we don't. Other than that, we don't have a lot of kind of really highly educated uh, professionals. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of our folks probably have bachelor's degrees. Um, probably uh, th two thirds, three quarters of, our, of the adults in our congregation, um, but but not a lot of folks that have graduate education kind of beyond that. There's a few of us, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of formation uh, that can happen uh, outside uh, kind of traditional oh. sorts of tracks. Um, and, and we, we hopefully can stand, can bear witness <laughs> to that, that mm -hmm. uh, we're not, I mean, again, we've, we've tackled a lot of theology books that are typically only read in seminaries. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly sometimes we have to have kind of some guidance from some of our folks that have been to seminary to kind of help us understand uh, some parts of those books and what's going on there, but um, but we shouldn't be scared to tackle um, uh, big books. Uh, mm -hmm. thick books. Mm -hmm. um, and th there's been immense ways uh, that our congregation has benefited from from reading uh, books that are are stretching for us. And we, mm -hmm. we I was part of a group uh, that actually just wrapped up. We spent probably between two and three years uh, working through Alistair McIntyre's book After Virtue, um, which is a, a philosophical work, but it, it's such a a wonderful um, examination of kind of the fragmentation that has happened uh, within uh, the modern age uh, mm -hmm. and, and trying to kind of give us, he tries to offer some imagination for how we, how we move beyond that, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. move beyond the sort of, uh, of rubble of, um, of people not being able to talk to one another mm -hmm. uh, and, and all the other ways that uh, we, we experience uh fragmentation you, you, you just said something that i think is so wonderful we spent two to three years working with this one book <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was i mean we, we literally again because a lot of us are really busy people um we literally read it together <laughs> um oh wow uh, like read it out loud together uh, yeah mostly i mean sometimes uh but uh but we had Basically, our facilitator for that group, I mean, he uh, basically kind of walked us sentence by sentence uh, through through the whole book. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting way of, uh, I mean, we're talking about reading together, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, of uh, the sort of, I mean, I think a lot of the ways in which we read together is this kind of sort of facilitated reading, maybe having one or a, a small group of people that have a better sense of kind of 
what an author is trying to do in the mm-hmm. book, uh, but really trying to to explain that and to explain why that matters mm-hmm. uh, uh, to um, whether it's this was the kind of after virtue group was just kind of a, a smaller group of us within the larger congregation. Um, but but there's times at which uh, we've kind of um, tackled uh, books as a as a congregation kind of in a similar sort of mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I love I love that. I mean, some books just they really deserve a couple years to. Oh, to absolutely. Sift through, and we do them a disservice. And, and ways that we're we're hopefully being formed uh, by the not only by the content, but also by the the form, the experience yes. of, of slowing down and really trying to understand the, particularly in the Alistair McIntyre uh, sense, the the grammar and the syntax and the the, the history. Uh, After Virtue is a very kind of historical book. He draws uh, on a lot of the the history of, uh, of Western culture um, and really trying to, to be attentive. I mean, obviously he's a very, very well-read scholar uh, and he introduces a lot of things that might be unfamiliar, a lot of ideas and kind mm-hmm. of uh, threads of history. Uh, and so sometimes those have to be unpacked and uh, what does he mean by that? And, um, well, what you're, what's in that exchange and experience goes back to some of what we were talking earlier. Is we listen to each other, conversation together, and and, and it isn't just about the book. It becomes about us and our community sure. life together. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and absolutely. It's. I mean, I think one of the things and um, about our practice of conversation, uh, there are ways in which we probably have become a little bit more unified uh, by. Uh, talking together for the last 20 or 25 years as a congregation. But I think the primary fruit of our conversation is not um, that sort of one-mindedness, uh, but, but is the fact that we are learning to trust one another um, mm-hmm. and to, and again, and this kind of ties in with, with presence um, that uh, we, we start to understand where people are coming from, why they think some of the things that we do and, and, and trying to, to engage one another kind of on the basis of that and not kind of just trying to run roughshod over somebody that we don't agree with mm-hmm. uh, or that we habitually don't agree with <laughs> <laughs> somebody that's coming from a very different uh, sort of uh, uh, ideology. Um, and how do we, how do we learn to uh, build trust uh, mm-hmm. with that person? Um, and how do we, how do we begin to work together even when we don't agree about mm. what should be done or why it should be done or how it should be done? <laughs> uh, but how do, how can we, how can we trust each other enough to be able to, to, to collaborate, to work together in, in, in that situation? Um, and I think I would like to think that we've learned a little bit about that for, for, uh, uh, from our conversations together over the last 20 or 25 years, mm. but that's 20 or 20, 20 or 25 years. That's a big, it's that's slow. A big, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely slow. That's beautiful. And something so needed in our day and age to listen to each other, trust each other. It's beautiful. Cool. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, no problem. Thanks for uh, inviting me to chat. Well, there you have it. If you'd like more information about Chris, you can find him online his project, Inglewood Review of Books. And again, his books are Slow Church and Reading for the Common Good. Oh, and I suspect if you're in the Indianapolis area, he'd be happy to show you around his community. As always, thanks for listening and join us next week as I talk with Beth Sleevko about her book, Broken Hallelujahs.